0: If there is one positive to come out of this year, it is that there has been an e-commerce explosion. 61% of Brits are admitting to shopping more online during lockdown. Hardly a surprise, but currently 40% of that clothing bought online is returned. Fashion and textile waste, whilst always a problem due to fast fashion, has been compounded by the pandemic. Fashion prediction platform DressSippy is working to change that. It's working with retailers like John Lewis and River Island to help them predict what customers will buy and not return, helping them to become more sustainable in both revenue and meeting the needs of a more waste-conscious market. Uh, Co-founders Donna North and Sarah McBitty join me now. Welcome to the show, ladies. Hello.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: Um, I'm super excited about this because I am horrendous at picking the right clothes for myself. So hopefully you guys are going to be the solution to all of my problems. Um, but um, we really want to get into this whole new world of personalization. Sarah, um, I wanted to start with you on this. It's definitely a buzzword. Um, It's been around the e-commerce industry for a few years, but could you maybe kick us off today by telling us a little bit about why fashion retailers need to prioritise it now?
1: Yeah, sure. So firstly, thank you so much for having us uh, on today. I think um, so. we've been working on personalisation specifically in the fashion industry for a number of years now, and I think you're right, it has been a buzzword. I think in many ways it's been an overused term, by many businesses that do not actually do personalisation, but specifically don't focus on doing it within the fashion domain. And I suppose it's important for retailers because if you are able to create a really inspirational, gorgeous, relevant experience to customers and you show them products that they're most likely to buy and keep, not only does it create a much lovelier experience, but it also obviously increases your revenue and decreases your returns as well. And I think... One thing that we have learned, and I think retailers are beginning to understand, is that as with all AI technologies, it doesn't really matter which industry you're in, but you need to build the particular AI around the domain itself. So I think most personalization that's been built to date has been built around books and films, but obviously how you buy or consume books and films is completely different to how you buy things like fashion. So mm. so I think the reason maybe these readers haven't seen fundamental shift that they would have expected to see from personalizations because they've been using this kind of one size fits all recommenders or personalization services whereas what we've managed to prove is that if you can specialize in the domain you get don't just get two or three percent of revenue increase but you get double digit increases in revenue and and significant kind of up to eight percentage point reductions in return so quite a big fundamental shift to both their revenue and their margins as well
0: and that is obviously going to have a huge impact on the amount of waste um you know i've been reading some articles um in the run up to this conversation about the textile waste mountains that are that are existing in this fast fashion um history that we've had um you know how are you guys using the data to help predict that fashion and reduce that waste. How does it actually like how does it actually work?
2: You're right. A significant amount of that waste is generated by unsold products. And and those unsold products are basically because, you know, the prediction between what the retailer is selling and what is being bought by the customers is not particularly accurate. And so, you know, if if we can move retailers to better predicting what products and, and what features in what quantities and, and but most importantly also is in what sizes, you know, that's a big step forward in, in terms of how you can reduce that, that mound of unsold goods. And it's also, you know, a relatively simple step for them as well. You know, the, the whole kind of sustainability and waste issue is complex because it involves the supply chains. Um, and there's lots of work to do there also, but it's, It's a it's a much simpler and task. It's a much simpler task, but also it's something that can be achieved today in just purely better predicting what should I sell and what should I make to sell based on what the customer wants to purchase.
1: I would add there that that when people talk about personalization, people often just think it refers to the front end experience, but actually, if you really want to make a difference on the sustainability piece, you, you need to pass that data back down to be able to personalize to for want of a better word, the actual supply chain. So it becomes a demand. So typically retailers are using last year's data to predict this year's data, obviously at the moment that's next to useless. So <laughs> so actually being able to look at the what demand is today and actually looking at flipping it to a demand led retail prediction model if if you like, um will have a much, much bigger impact on sustainability than anything else.
2: Yeah, I mean, current, current the re, the retailers and for various reasons and, and, you know, all good reasons haven't really had access to that information or that data to be able to start even looking at using kind of AI um, and prediction tools to look at that. Whereas today, obviously that, that's, that's very different. Um, but. Uh, Without the personalization on the front end, it's very difficult for a retailer to understand what the true demand is and then respond to that true demand. And so for us, the reason why we structure our business around generating the personalization both for the consumer, so enabling the shopper to kind of very quickly get to the products that are best for them, um, as well as kind of doing this, um, these prediction models on the back end is that we think the two are symbiotic. We don't think that you can separate the two and solve the problem.
0: Well I mean I think from what I've read about you guys River Island have said that um their personalized contents uh the shoppers are twice as likely to to purchase so and their average orders are increasing by 20% so what you guys are building obviously is is working but uh, is also underpinned with some you know really powerful sustainability uh values. Um so let's let's pause for a second and um let's talk about Drisipi itself the idea um you know Tell us a bit about both of your backgrounds and how did you come up with this idea? And, you know, how did you go from an idea to, to actually building and, lo- and launching the, the, com- the company?
2: Should I you, Sarah?
0: <laughs> yeah, go <get> for it. <laughs> like, how do you guys <laughs> know each other? Was <laughs> this over a wine or Prosecco? You went, hey, yeah, you need to sort exactly. this out. <laughs> <Yeah,
2: laughs> There's yeah, a lot well, of wine scene at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> There was a lot of wine consumed at the beginning. Um yeah. so I mean we both we both come from technology backgrounds. Um I'll let Sarah talk about hers. Um but obviously we were we were both shoppers as well. So yeah. we both were experiencing firsthand how difficult it was to shop and it, and especially As more more retailers were going online and the choice was just kind of exploding, it just became harder. And so we were, you know, chatting about having that experience and then both of us had kind of come to the end of, you know, we sold our businesses and we're looking for our next challenge. And we wanted to do something together, and this was this was a problem for us that um, and that we were very passionate about and Then, having started Jess B, it then became pretty clear quite quickly um, sustainability at that point really wasn't for you know at the forefront of what we were trying to do; we were trying to improve this shopper's experience. but then, when we learned more about the industry and we saw how much wastage was in the industry, and we could see that the models and the algorithms that we were building to help the shopper, you know, solve their kind of shopping problem. Um, we, you know, we quickly realised that actually we could also apply those models and start kind of looking at how we can remove some of the waste in the supply chain and make the, make the retailers more efficient.
1: Where we, both, we, uh, we both have backgrounds in technology businesses. And I think something we're both very passionate about is using uh, data to create efficiencies in the industry. And I think, I think it, it, it is an industry which... Uh, it's so different because obviously it's like we don't need to buy all the clothes we buy every year, but we all want to. It's such an important way of expressing who we are personally. Um, but increasingly, the more you work within the industry, you realize how, how much, um, data can be used to deliver, uh, or to sort of maintain that kind of aspirational piece, but deliver the efficiency. And I think, uh, it's, it's very exciting that we're beginning to start to see good results in that. Well.
2: yeah and i think I think that's really Im- important because it is actually a win win um using data it's you know you can both improve the customer experience through personalization as well as helping the retailers to kind of get more profit you know just become more efficient and get more profitability. And, and the more profitability they have, the more able, the more space and room and capacity they have to to kind of dig into some of these deeper problems that actually require investment in what is quite a difficult time and, and, and in quite a low margin business.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think the other thing I'd say, so the, the other thing that we found with, with this industry specifically is, you yeah, know, uh, fashion is its such an emotional piece where the brand is so important. So you need to be able to construct the data on the back end that allows them to still deliver the brand stories and the brand messages that... That make all these brands so unique and make us buy into one brand over another. And so, what we've been able to do over, I mean, not, not when we started, but definitely now, is that we allow the brands to maintain. So we, you're not just selling the best-selling pair of tights; you're you're selling the, the stories that drive mm. the brand, whilst allowing that efficiency to still be created. I think that's a really important distinction that's very, very different in the fashion industry versus selling lawnmowers or books or you know other, other categories
2: yeah and and when we're when we're working with our retailers' partners and you know it's in the past we have been asked because obviously some of these prediction models you can tweak um to for example you know promote items that aren't necessarily the best item for the shopper, but maybe the retailer wants to wants to sell that particular item for whatever reason and we you know we always refuse to do that um because customer lifetime value and building trust. Through personalization for the retailer is a much better kind of mid to long term strategy than trying to get rid of something that isn't selling for a very good reason. And so we will yes. never do that. You know, we, we are, we have a lot of integrity around the personalization and making sure that the retailer understands the difference between, you know, truly building trust with your customer versus using personalization just to get rid of stuff that isn't selling.
1: But, but, to, but to that point, sorry. But it, it, the other, because we understand, because fashion is very different, and obviously, we different sizes and shapes. So we know, so we know the size of each customer. So we, so if you've got a product which is sold out in the kind of main sizes, but still has it, it's, it's still available in smaller sizes or larger sizes, we we can still make sure that people who are likely to want to buy that will see it. So, so it, it just means that you are able to sell through more of every single product line by using the personalization but still having the integrity of making sure it's right for that customer
0: yeah it sounds like you're putting the really putting the customer at the heart of what you're doing you
1: have to yeah
2: absolutely and and you know, and if you look at if you look at where person where personalization maybe hasn't delivered previously where where it absolutely could, it probably is a combination of things, and one of them is not putting the customer at the heart of that journey and building the trust using the personalization to build the trust between the retailer and the brand and the, and, and, the, and the shopper
0: and that must be quite a bit of a journey for the retailers that you're working with um is that something that you need to to bring them on or is that a is that a you know is that a path that they're already on when they when they come to engage with you guys
2: i think most I think, retailers yeah. are very are, are very customer centric um and, and and they're doing you know they're putting the, they're putting their kind of customer at the heart of everything that they that they're doing it's just that they need more efficient ways of doing it and they yeah. and they haven't had them beforehand.
0: It sounds like you guys I mean, you definitely sound like the experts in this uh, in this space. And um, if it sounds like you've come a pretty long way yourselves on the journey with Dracipi. Um <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, you're laughing. Um I I'll start with you then. <laughs> um, because I'd love to know a bit more about what you were actually doing before you launched Dracipi. Like so you uh Donna, you mentioned that you've both had businesses and had sold them. Um, you know, were is this a complete uh pivot into a new you know, a new world or, you know, what, what were you both, what were your businesses (laughs) before? (laughs) And are you both techies? Is that, is it, are you, have we got two technical co-founders here or um, what kind of backgrounds
1: are you? Dodd is more technical than I am. Um, I'm probably more data. It's about my last business. I started out um, having great, sort of investment banking and then I left to start my first business where you could text a question, we'd text you back the answer. Um, So again, using data and building uh, efficiencies around that. <laughs> then the iPhone came out we're like, mm. and, uh, <laughs> and we got down, you Apple. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, no. So, so we've we all that year. We we're very lucky. So um, we've got, we had a very good <laughs> exit. Uh, so I suppose what I, so, so for me, it, it's, it's around the data and, and what the data can, can enable mm. when correctly uh, used and correctly attributed. Uh, but Donna's D- D- definitely more technical than I am.
2: Yeah, my, I mean, my background is in product management and, and creation, and um, but always in the kind of software development um, area. We had developed software that enabled, so very different actually, it was, it was software that enabled video and content to be streamed live on the internet and mobile, so many years ago. And when that company got bought, one of the investors um, was the, the McCormack family um, who own IMG. And mm-hmm. I went into work at IMG um, for a period of time with the kind of view of trying to trans- transform all of their business and all of their clients' business into the digital world when no mm-hmm. one was really up for it or ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, People tell you so, that's, yeah. that's never going to take off. That's never going to take <laughs> that's off. That's never yeah, going to exactly. work. That eSport thing, <laughs> never, ever going to work. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you know, which you know, which is interesting because you, you, and I think you know one of the challenges always around when you're starting something new, and particularly if it's something that doesn't exist at the moment, this this question of timing is always critical um, because you know it's a small business. You you have the pressure of time because you you've got to make you know you've got limited funds and you've got to make as much progress as you possibly can. But if you're then reliant on either an audience or you know a larger business um, to kind of be an integral part of, of, of what you're building, and they're not ready for it, then you know that is that that is always the challenge, I think. You know, and it's that it's that whole timing, it's that whole timing thing.
1: And well, I think to be yeah. fair, we we were pretty early in this space as well. We were, um, yeah. And it's taken a while for the retailers to be, and it's not because they didn't want to be ready. it's because they've had so many other things to get sorted that I think they are now ready to embrace this and have the capability and the resources to be able to facilitate it as well. Do you agree Donna
2: yeah and i i do i mean and and also you know they're they're not structured to take risks in innovation no 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 business is and and particularly. In, in retail, in fast fashion, the, mar- the margins are actually, you know, much smaller than most pro- most people probably think that they are. And that makes it very difficult for for companies to be focused on anything other than, you know, day-to-day revenue and profitability. Um, and particularly post-COVID when, you know, a lot of their stores are shut and that's a bug with their revenue, like cash is yeah. king right now. So you've got to be able to release mm-hmm. as
1: much cash so you can invest in the future and invest in, in the transformation that's going on in, in this industry.
2: So I guess I mean how how that has impacted what we do at Dressapi and and what we've done at Dressapi is that you know we we have this great vision that is getting closer to unfolding but we've had to work you know really in just slightly one step ahead of the current time so making everything that we do relevant and current to today even though you know uh, we envisage a very different future where you know personalization is at the heart of everything and is the holy grail um because you know why why wouldn't you want to understand everything about what your customer does and then you know structure your what you're going to sell and buy around that you know taking all of the guesswork out of it um but we have had to you know, take, take steps in at the pace that, that the retailers and, and the fashion world can, can move at. And, you know, and that's, I, that's no different to any other innovation. I don't think.
0: Yeah. I think, um, you know, Sarah, you touched on it earlier about your, your original business, you know, it when the question of timing, you know, had you tried to sell your business six months later, you probably wouldn't have had the same outcome. Um, but the, the pressure's off time on a startup because you're like, I don't know how you guys have funded the business. Have you, has that been sort of, have you self-funded it um, or has invest, investment come on board?
1: So we um, take investment, but, but not from VCs. Um, so we just, we funded yeah. the first bit ourselves and then we've had some private um, investment. Um, I think where we are different is we are we we believe that if you would well as you said earlier you want to make a big difference and really move the needle in fashion you've got to go deep into every part of that business um so it's it's very specific on the fashion industry so probably less suited to a VC type investment anyway
0: yeah. Um not <laughs> you guys are at the cutting edge. I think you're both trailblazers in what you've done in the past and what you're doing now. Um, but that has to come with challenges. Um, trying to do stuff, you know, you know, setting a new course for <laughs> an entire industry <laughs> um as a small startup, um, trying to transform that personalization um uh, understanding. Um what have been the challenges that you've faced um, along that? journey and how have you overcome them and have you both experienced different ones i wonder given your different roles within business if you're enjoying the podcast simply hit the like and subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform if you have the time leave us a review you can do that really easily by going to ratemypodcast.com forward slash fast forward
1: oh so many don't (laughs) start The, okay, I mean, I they have, I mean sorry, they have you, you start Sarah. No, no, no. You, you it, okay. Well, from my side, I suppose, um, I suppose, when we started uh, speaking to retailers, I think there was um, a lot of these retailers were very focused on working with platforms that did everything for everybody, um, and then were disappointed when they only got a couple of percentage points improvements. And I think that. So I think that. So. The challenge for us in the early days was getting people to understand that really they have to be if you want to make a big difference you've got to take a specialist approach and i think that now has flipped and we are now seeing a lot a lot of kind of inbound inquiries and we're getting a lot of business coming in but that, that was certainly a challenge to start with um so, so i think from that but i think plenty of challenges in terms of the technical side as well and just resources and just. You know, just Finding, you know, we, we, we never have enough people. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that, that, um, it's so important in clothing to, there's so many nuances and it's not, you know, it's not a straightforward purchase for the shopper because, you know, it says, as Sarah mentioned earlier, it's, it says so much about the individual. Um, and the context you know the to- how you're wearing when you're wearing where you're wearing it how you want to feel you know all of those all of those kind of things are in the decision making process of the shopper so to be able mm-hmm. to capture those and do something with them from a kind of technical you know from a technical point of view, point of view and also from a modeling and algorithmic point of view is is really challenging um and has consumed a lot of our time and energy, but also we, we, we understood that it was really important. Um, and so we spent a lot of time there, um, overcoming those.
1: <laughs> Every Christmas party, working on the beach.
2: There is a standard, yeah, there is a standard shake, And it is always changing as well. I mean, that's the other thing, right? It is always changing. Fashion by its very nature it changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. um and not, so it has all of these kind of idiosyncrasies that mean that you can't there are you know you can't just get an off the shelf model um and expect to really get your vision and drive through um, to mm. your vision um and so we've had we pretty much have had to build most of everything where you know previously we would have looked for some more off the shelf components i guess to to kind of mm. build upon but we haven't been able to do that um Timing is a challenge. Like Sarah mentioned, we were pretty early, um, and and so we have taken it's taken a lot of energy and time to, to educate people in what the difference is, particularly around you know personalisation and what we what we would say is true personalisation. I don't think anybody really has. Um, has, has rolled out what we would say was, you know, actual true personalization throughout the whole customer journey. And that's that's exciting because that's to come. Yeah. Um, but it has caused that, issues.
1: As I think now that we, we've got, you know, we, we're getting such good results for our current partners, it, it I think it then allows us to be able to have those conversations and and to be able to look at what goes next. And I think it, you have to build trust with, with the partnerships that we have and the partners that we have, so that we can, work. And, and I think also that experience will be different on a brand by brand basis. I think it, it, the brands need to own their own customer experience, but we can make sure that everything that is being delivered to the customer is is as uh, aspirational and as relevant as possible that, that that creates that purchase for that customer, a happy kind of happy purchase. Um,
2: and-
1: everything that you're
0: saying is really amazing, right? And I completely get it. But there, there is a seismic difference between your aspirations to do it and then actually physically building the technology to bring it to life. Um, and Donna, you just said there that you've had to build everything from scratch that those off the <laughs> shelf components, you know, weren't going to cut it. Um, like, how, like, what is that process like to be able to you know you've got this idea you can see the solution but then you physically someone has to build it (laughs) so how do you go about what does that even look like in terms of being able to you know it's almost like you're you're, you know you guys are flying the plane as you're building it um you know what does that look or feel like
2: um uh, we have an amazing team um I, i have to say and and an amazing team that have been with us, you know, pretty much for all of the journey. Um, so that is, you know, that's absolutely a cool part of it. And I'm not just saying that, I mean, you know, we're here, we are here because of, because of them, but in terms of, um, you know, where, where do you start? I mean, you absolutely start with the problem of the, you know, that you're trying to solve. And as long as that is very clear, um, there's always a direction in which you can go and try and, 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 you know, and start to solve that. And you're not, we, you know, there are many things that we have tried um, that haven't, that haven't worked out. And, And so being able to have the flexibility also within the team to know that, you know, what we're trying to do is, is difficult and don't let, you know, don't let that, a failure isn't a failure if we've, if we've learned something mm-hmm. from it. And, again, that sounds very kind of contrived, but it actually is. It is. It is true. I think the other
1: thing that, that, that Donna's done with, in terms of the product is, is putting together the stylist. So we have a, a fashion team that work very closely with our technical team. I think that makes a big difference to you, um, yeah. into, to solving some of those
2: Okay, so yeah, I mean, that, that is, that has been essential. So very early on, we, you know, it's very obvious that if you just put a group of engineers onto the problem, <laughs> they, they, even though we have, you know, mixed gender teams and we started off mm-hmm. in women's wear, it's, it was very difficult for them. If you're thinking about iterating, you're iterating on an output and you're trying to improve on it, but you've got to understand the output in the first place. And, so we, we, we did very early on realize that it was essential to have people who came from, you know, the fashion background to interpret that output and work alongside the more technical team and, and, and the data science team. And actually that was probably one of the best decisions that we ever made. Um, and there's, you yeah. know, it is, it, it has allowed us and it did allow us and it continues to allow us to move very, very quickly. You know, we're a small team. And you, we do have investment, but we punch way above our weight in terms of the amount of investment that we have taken. And mm-hmm. we we have been able to do that because we, we've moved quickly and we've been able to move quickly because of how we have put that team together yeah. with all the different disciplines. We've outperformed all, all the kind of big guys now, whether it's Salesforce's Einstein
1: or Rich Relevance or any of those more generic recommenders. And I think the reason we do that is because of the care and attention we take to the industry and, and, and how those two teams work together.
0: That's such an interesting insight into one of the early keys to the success. Um, I wonder how that collaboration is working now that we're in this very bizarre new world of COVID and uh, pandemics. Um, Donna, you and I were chatting off air uh, before we started recording, uh, comparing notes on our on our leggings. <laughs> the, <laughs> Uh, you know, and uh, what we were from a day to day, which is basically glorified pajamas, I would say. Um oh,
1: it's a, a huge growth in pajamas as well. So it's, it's pajama yeah.
0: bottoms and nice tops, basically. That's it. Check this. Check this. Out. Have you seen my Pete, my latest PJs? And we used mm-hmm. to all be very critical about the mums that went to the school gates in their PJs, and now we're all at it. Um, but um, you know, how has that? How has that um, affected? Uh, address it be how have you guys uh, adapted how, what impact or what are you seeing in the data has that kind of um have that has that type of intelligence started coming through yet
1: yes so i think i think because because we work on a demand led rather than a sales led basis mm-hmm. if that makes sense so i think the, the benefit is it doesn't we don't need to adapt anything but what, what, what we do do for our partners is we give them kind of real-time access to these dashboards that incorporate all of our very fashion specific data and the bits that they would necessarily have and then we tie all of their data together so their stock levels their size fragment everything's in one place so it's then very easy for them to react in real time and respond in real time to those very fundamental changes that you know that are happening right now because of lockdown and i think uh, we don't know how many of these uh, habits will stick and how many won't um mm. but what's important is that that demand demand-led view so, so you can see that you know typically your new customers the entry-level products for most brands are very different to your kind of vip customers but understanding that yeah. those have changed and how they're changing and then how quickly do they come back to repurchase and at what point should you get them to come back and repurchase i think that all those things are fundamentally different to where they were before but thankfully the way that that, that we've built it on our side is that that's already inbuilt built into the models
0: so future-proofed, um, from, from the get-go. Um, I would love to know what the Chanel version <laughs> of maybe my H&M choices might <laughs> Other brands are available. Um, so you guys, you guys have future-proofed. Um, so you should, um, you probably are the, the people to go to in terms of what does the future, uh, look like? Um, Donna, um, personalization, where is it going and what does it look like?
2: Oh, um, well, I mean, I, very personal view, (laughs) but I definitely (laughs) feel like, you know, that whole kind of dream of having what is the equivalent of a personal fashion assistant is where we're heading. Um, but it will be, you know, it's going to be an AI layer. So any, any time I would like something, you know, I'm, I can describe it. I can describe the attributes. I can describe the context and that AI will go off and, and go and find, out of all of the choices that are, are available, the, the very best, you know, 10 or so um, of those items that match what the thing that I'm looking for. So, for example, if I, you know, if I want a new pair of jeans, you know, and I'll describe those jeans and the AI will go off and they'll search all the jeans and they'll come back with all of the ones that will look great on me, but not just the ones that will look great on me, but, are, you know, are within my budget that I can wear with the rest of my wardrobe. And they'll show me how, you know, that, that AI will show me how to wear those jeans with the rest of my wardrobe. So very much kind of taking the hard work out of the shopping process, but also at the same time, it can still inject it with the fun and the inspiration elements of it as well. And then I think on the, you know, how that ties in to, you know, the more kind of sustainable shopper is that, you know, once you once you have an AI that's working in your favor and going off and selecting for you um, and you are kind of building this kind of digital wardrobe, it also is your kind of starting point always, that you're always shopping to, for new items with things that go with the items that you already have. If you want to upcycle, recycle, resell, that you can also do that very easily from a from a single place. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how we view what personalization will look like in the future um, from the shopper's point of view. And then, obviously, from the retailer's point of view, they're they're just much better at more accurately kind of matching demand and supply. Um, And so, are are able to kind of solve all of these kind of overstock problems. Um, And those overstock problems just just disappear, basically, um, and gives them much more kind of flexibility to to start solving some of the more difficult problems, which, you know, around the kind of material. Uh, sustainable material and investing in in the more complex areas um so that's 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 where we feel like that's that is achievable with, within the next kind of three to five years
0: so will i be able to ask siri or ask alexa will it will it be voice activated is that what it, i yeah it
2: i mean i think well, different I, yes for sure it can be voice activated it can be image you know image initiated um, but yes, you know, you, you won't have to go to a retailer site and look through 5,000 dresses to find the one dress that, you know, that you think is the most appropriate one for you.
0: Oh my goodness. Please accelerate this on your roadmap, please. <laughs> <laughs> so if that's three or five years away, uh, what is next for Giuseppe? What's the next, uh, what are the next sort of, uh, 12 to, to, to three years going to look like?
2: First of all, like take, you know starting to take and people and you know our clients are already you know thinking about moving themselves towards some of these kind of different ways of shopping and 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 different consumer experiences, so definitely you know getting our current retail partners into this kind of deeper personalization and slightly different ways of thinking about how they can use personalization throughout the customer journey, but also you know we've been very u k focused up until now um and that's just because we really wanted to get it right in in the UK market and didn't want any distractions, but we are planning in twenty twenty one to expand on our international client base. Um, and Sarah, do you want to probably do your best to talk more about that expansion side of things? Yeah,
1: so I think, I think what's what's been rich, well, what's been very good for us in this whole uh, crazy year we've had is that. <laughs> Um, these retailers now really appreciate and understand that you can't rely on last year's data. You can't look at. You can't be looking backwards. You've got to understand how data today can drive a better future. And I think there is a real understanding of that now. So we are now getting you know a lot of interest you know from you know, Australia, Europe, US, and so really making sure that we take on the right clients uh, in the right order so that we can expand and make sure we deliver as well as we have done in the UK in other markets.
0: I mean, it sounds like, um, you know, you guys have been ahead of the curve and uh, been that step ahead, but um, it's just so fascinating to see um, what you guys are doing and what impact that's going to have potentially globally on on how um, we all shop. And and all dress better as a result. Um, any particular standout retailers for you guys in your journey? Who's been the first? Who's, who are the early adopters? And um, what has their appetite been?
1: I think I think it depends on. I mean, so in terms of personalisation or in terms of just mm. good retailing, I think
0: uh, both. Um, yeah.
1: It, my do they both go hand thing. in hand <laughs> well i, don't, I so, so in terms of the sustainability thing, i think get gani are an amazing brand um their focus on on sustainability and, and understanding that it's going to be very hard to achieve that but but that runs through everything they do they just launched their gani uh repeat looking at that up cycle of old stock which i think is So I think that that is very compelling and I think the fact that they have such a good following is very exciting for for, for other retailers to to look at as well.
2: And yeah, well I think I think you know, time will tell who's impressive because anybody (laughs) who comes out on the other side of COVID and in a strong position, I mean you know, it's it's hard for those guys. So, you know, and there are I mean, there are things that we obviously know that our partners are doing, which are confidential, um, but there's some in- impressive work that is going on in quite a few retailers, um, yeah. actually. And I think, yeah, ty- time will tell, but there will be winners and losers out of this COVID. And the people who come out stronger will definitely have been doing something very impressive over the last nine months.
0: Yeah. Uh, I suppose today's not, um, it's probably a sad day because we've seen the demise of another. Um, another fashion retailer today with the yeah. loss of peacocks going into administration. Um, well, we're not going to f- a- end on a negative note. We always end on a positive. <laughs> Um, and we do like to always end on some actionable advice for, um, where, for, uh, entrepreneurs out there who are maybe in your space or even the retailers that are out there who are trying to, um, find their way in this new world. Um, so what, um, tips could we wrap the podcast with from both of you to anyone that's starting a business and particularly a fashion based business? Who would like to
2: start with that? So Sarah, shall I jump in. yeah, yeah, give yeah, it um so I would say, I mean obviously it's always contextual <laughs> depending <laughs> on what the what the business is and what they're doing, but I think you know for for us, I think what we what we found has been important in our previous businesses, but also you know, absolutely in this business as well is team um and we've mentioned timing before, but that also goes hand in hand with focus. But also, you know, you're spending a lot of time, many hours um, of your life, um, you know, trying to move your business forward. So, you know, do something that you're passionate about as well. So it, I think it's always the same thing. You know, if you, can, if you can surround yourself with talented people who really share the passion for, for what it is that you're trying to achieve, And that team of people kind of can focus on what to do and and do it quickly. I mean, that is, that's very hard to beat. You know, all of those three things, kind of team Mm -hmm. passion and and focus are force multipliers. But it, but what it does mean is that you have to communicate all the time to everybody about, you know, what, what is a priority. And I don't think you can communicate or over communicate enough
1: with that so i think the other thing that i would say and particularly with fashion and we've seen this both ourselves and our partners is, is spend the time stating the problem um they're rather just jumping to solve the problem take the time to really state and understand what the problem is and then make sure that as you're solving that problem um that you are focusing on the metrics that matter. Because um, I think it, particularly in fashion, it is very different to other industries. And just to take, some, take a step back and really understand uh, what it is you're trying to solve, I think is, is very worthwhile and something that we have learned uh, to do much better. Um, but obviously, I care everything that Donna said as well. Nice. So team,
0: passion, focus, problem and metrics. That's a really nice
2: (laughs) checklist. That's all all you have (laughs) to do. (laughs) Yeah. And
0: solve how to create these AI algorithms that are, (laughs) apart from that, it's,
2: you know, easy. I know, but it's, but it is, but it is, you know, it's fun. And that, you know, it's for everybody who, who starts a business you know everybody mm-hmm. should admire them um because it is you know it's hard but let's yeah. not forget you know there's a lot of achievement that comes out of that as well and fun along yeah. the
0: way uh, i'd say you guys have had a few laughs along the way and tears <laughs> and yeah, wine to yeah. keep a company <laughs> yeah
1: well let's oh, later on a bit more wine at the beginning I think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there's always wine sarah <laughs> yeah
1: that is uh, always wine
0: yeah. Uh, listen, I cannot wait. Oh, yes. I'm pajamas for sure. <laughs> More now than ever. Yeah. I cannot wait to see where Drosippi goes and I certainly cannot wait to be able to ask Alexa to um, dress me for, for Monday morning based on whatever I've got in my wardrobe if it can work out what na- what isn't in the wash as well I think that'll be <laughs> exactly, that's that'll yeah, be yes, the I cherry understand. on the top on the cherry on the top or will tell me to put that stuff in the wash if I if I want to wear it with my new jeans on Monday <laughs> too
2: dirty. <laughs> yeah, no that's, another, that that's another type of assistant <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh listen, thank you ladies for uh taking the time out of your very busy schedule to uh talk to us. And uh for all of us who are always stressing about uh what to wear for that um event or uh dinner or date um or interview, um I hope I think you will have definitely given us all a better night's sleep. Fast Forward is a weekly interview podcast brought to you by Tech Manchester, an incubator for digital and creative startups in the Northwest. I'm your host, Patricia Keating. The podcast is produced by Sarah Beggy, audio editing by Jamie Gainlock and music by Parma Violet. If you've any questions, feel free to drop us a line at infotechmanchester.co.uk at or follow us on any of our social channels Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. All under Tech Manchester.